I am Brother Cornell West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Prophets of Rage. And this is News Beat. Peace and love, everybody. It's your man, Manny Faces, the editor. We haven't done this in a minute. The host, the audio editor, the co-producer of the News Beat podcast. We are here. Welcome to This Week in Social Justice. Uh, We have not done this for a minute. So you will forgive us if we have a little slip and slide here and there, but we are here to deliver you the uh, latest and greatest. It's great. Is it great if it's social justice news? Sometimes, sometimes not. Uh, In social justice news, if you know us, we're the Newsbeat podcast. We uh, combine hard-hitting social justice journalism. We mix it, smack it, flip it, and rub it down with music and original lyrics by hip-hop artists, brilliant independent hip-hop artists. That's our claim to fame. That's what we do, the Newsbeat Podcast. This week in social justice has been going on since Election Day roundabout, and we're back for a new season, as it were, broadcasting live and direct from wherever we are to wherever you are on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard time? Daylight time? I'm not sure. East New York time. Let's bring it in. Our peoples that have been rocking with us since the beginning, the co, my colleagues, the editor-in-chief of Newsbeat, Mr. Christopher Tawarski, the managing editor, Rashed Mian. Hey, yo. And here we are. Hey, guys. It's been a while. Let's do this again. It's been a minute. Since we did this, I can't believe Facebook is letting us stream. You know, uh, I had to uh, pay a fine uh, for right. one of the uh, previous uh, live streams. Uh, so, again, to people who are just <laughs> tuning in, not sure what we're doing. You may know me. You may know us. Uh, this this may be weird. Uh, but what we're trying to do here and what we're doing for a minute and we're bringing back into the mix is this idea of delivering you social justice news from around the world, mostly around the country, that you may only get in snippets and tidbits through mainstream media, cable news, all that jazz, doing it with our own little flavor, tying it into our podcast, which is amazing and incredible, uh, always sprinkled in a little bit of hip, a, a little bit of hip-hop flavor, uh, but really just trying to bring you things from a different perspective, help out, help you understand some of the issues. That makes sense? Do we sound good? Do we look good? Put us in the comment sound, section. Sound great on my end over here. All right. But you always sound great because look at that. Look at that setup. <clears throat> this is just okay. one tidbit, one angle. Uh, but thank you. Shouts to Silent Night, SK, in the building, our artist in residence who knows a little something, something about putting together hip-hop uh, music to uh, educate and uh, enlighten the peoples about social justice issues. Tonight, we have two main topics. We want to talk about voting rights. Right. That's going to be a big issue tonight. Uh, the fight for the right to vote uh, it came up a lot during the election season. We heard about all the shenanigans that were happening, whether it be Republicans or no, it's Republicans uh, who want to stop people from fighting. Uh, from voting. I'm trying to figure out what these shenanigans were. <laughs> uh, so there were things right around election season. Uh, but what we have to understand is they lost. And they were doing stuff to uh, interfere with voting rights before they lost. Best believe that they're doing a lot of things right now to interfere with voting rights. And so there are things that we should be paying attention to when it's not just November, when it's not just election season, voting rights. We're going to tell you what's happening with that. And then also, uh, 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 
Uh, uh, uh, uh. I think you're leading up to our guest, I assume. I am leading up to our guest. We'll be talking with Ross Barkin, uh, who is a journalist. And it says it right here, so I'm just going to read it. The journalist and author of the upcoming book, The Prince, Andrew Cuomo, Coronavirus, and the Fall of New York. Uh, Sounds a little ominous. Rashad, give give us a, a quickie on our guest tonight, and then we'll get into our news bites. Yeah, obviously, everybody's been uh, hearing about Andrew Cuomo's scandals, um, the sexual harassment claims made against him, um, ever growing, it seems, and the uh, alleged cover up of the nursing home deaths in New York. But we want to go beyond that, you know, as we like to do uh, in Newsbeat and on this show. And we want to just, you know, inform our audience about some of the other controversies that have ensconed the Cuomo administration during his very, very long run as governor of New York. So I think, I think people will find, will find it sort of insightful because whether they live in New York or not, I think it's always good to look under the hood and just see what's happening um, inside the governor's office, not just what how, or how they portray themselves on TV or, or on the news. So I think it'll be insightful. Or, or as I like to say, we can hate Andrew Cuomo, but for more reasons than you think. So <laughs> exactly. There you go. That's, that's Another good title for a book. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not stepping on, on Ross's toes. He'll be with us uh, about the half hour mark to discuss uh, all of these things happening in New York. But again, as you say, Rashad, very interestingly enough, sometimes even the the, uh, the the government leaders that we think are kind of on top of their game doing all the right things, there's some things behind the scenes and we uh, it behooves us as citizens to know all the ins and outs uh, as we move forward. That being said, what we like to do on the show is a little something-something called the News Beat Bites. Where we go into a few things that are happening in the world of social justice that you may or may not know about, that you may or may not should know more about. And so that is our News Beat Bites. I'm going to start this off. And I want to give thanks to Tasty Quiche, my homegirl over at Bonfire Radio, who posted this interesting article uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it, it came out late February and it says, no, the Tuskegee study is not the top reason that some black Americans question the COVID-19 vaccine. I wanted to bring this up uh, because we're journalists. We've worked in the journalism field for a very long time. You guys are both award-winning journalists across many spectrums. Uh, one of the flaws that this article, this uh, was an article. It was actually a, a, I think it's a yeah, article story, you know, like an audio story with an article. Uh, points out is that very often uh, media point to black Americans, African-American communities as being reluctant to get a vaccine or be questioning the rollout of the vaccine and and sort of just kind of throwing a blanket over that and saying, well, yeah, because of Tuskegee, like this whole Tuskegee experiment, this this traditional, this this historical uh, horrid uh, event that affected uh, black Americans in America. And while that is actually super important and a lot of people do, uh, remember that uh, that if you ask African Americans, which the study did, uh, why are you hesitant to maybe take a vaccine uh, or hesitant to uh, accept the information being put out by the government? It's not just because of what happened with the Tuskegee experiment a bunch of years ago. It's more often than not because it's continual racism and and skepticism with the uh, medical industry and uh, the government and at large. 
And I think that the article was really great to point out that if you really want to uh, look at the issues that certain communities have with this vaccine rollout, certain communities have with how the government has treated them in the past, don't just assume that it's this one thing that you think it's all about. Ask them. And they'll tell you there are a lot of reasons why we have distrust towards the government. They're all valid. They're all important. And I just think that for media and we watch people talk about this uh, all through the vaccine rollout. Uh, this has been sort of the default position. And I think that this was a fascinating uh, article to let people know that it's deeper than that. It's not a monolithic viewpoint. And you really should go a little bit deeper uh, when you try to figure out exactly how to best deal with the communities that are most vulnerable, have been most disproportionately affected by coronavirus. It behooves you to do so. And so I wanted to point this out. Gentlemen, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> and uh, African-Americans aren't, aren't uh, the only group that uh, were subject to tests that, uh, you know, unknowingly they were subjected to. I mean, uh, the Puerto Ricans, you know, I mean, um, testing of birth, control. birth control and uh, sterilization, all different types of things. Yeah, natives. So, Right. Yeah, I think something else they just uh, touch on really quick, Manny, is uh, the point that you're making. It sort of obscures modern day racism, and obviously, and it's, it's also not distrust of the government, also of the healthcare sector, right? And the right. Way I mean, we've, we've heard about very, for decades. Very recent studies that have shown that you know doctors would prescribe less pain medication for black and brown patients because of some kind of implicit bias that you know uh, either they're lying or they're more tolerable of pain, like. That is very recent, and that is something that's probably yeah. more, uh, you know, more influential. As to, so, if we want to make sure that our our neighbors, our uh, community members, that you know, are all on board for the vaccine, which personally I think we should be, but my personal opinion doesn't matter. We have to make sure that we're accurately uh, taking their uh, concerns into consideration. So, I thought that was an amazing story. Uh, I really thought the breakdown was dope. And again, shouts to Taste of Quiche. Or bring it up, Christopher. On to you, sir. News bites. Yeah, so I have a I have a couple. Um, and first, I'd like to start out with uh, obviously today the passage of the the uh, latest stimulus bill, one point nine trillion dollars. And the reason why I want to bring it up is is due to you know, <laughs> they passed the stimulus bill. It's dope. <laughs> so besides the $1,400 checks that uh, 90% of, the, of, of Americans are, are going to see, there are other things in there, you know, besides the extension of unemployment benefits, there, there's almost a billion dollars, you know, earmarked for food, food programs and nutritional programs for low-income families. There's, uh, I think, $20 billion or something like that in there for back rent for low-income families, uh, back mortgages. Um, so there's a lot more to this. And, you know, re some recent, I think the Columbia Poverty Center uh, said that this could potentially cut the poverty rate, um, the child poverty rate in half and the overall poverty rate by a third. So we're talking right. millions of people uh, potentially lifted out of poverty. Keyword potentially. I'd like to definitely follow up and see whether these things are actually, you know, you can tout these things, but how does it play out in real life? We'll, we'll, we'll circle back to that, shall we? Right. But, you know, in theory, very helpful. Great point. 
And um, the second the second thing I wanted to mention was is an issue that we've covered in the past. It's an ongoing uh, horrific, really a genocide uh, that's going on in, in China against the Muslim minority Uyghur uh, people. And what happened was yesterday was the first non-governmental legal analysis taking a look at, at what's going on there, basically concluding that China is breaching every single statute in the uh, UN uh, Convention Against Genocide. Mm. Um, so, I mean, it's just, you know, there's do, mass. Do we, know very, very, do we know very quickly Trump administration versus Biden administration in uh, any kind of pressure on China very quickly? Is there anything that so, we know about? Yeah, so the current administration has called this a genocide, but, you know, they have not really done anything of, of action. I don't know about Trump if, if they if they went that far with that, but it's just, uh, you know, this is a modern-day genocide taking place right now, right. and this is the first legal analysis of what's going on over there, and it's, it's, yeah. okay. it's horrific. Thanks for bringing it up. More people need to look into that uh, uh, issue. We'll cover it, I think, in depth at some point soon. Remember, we're a podcast, Newsbeat Podcast, so I think we're going to get into this a little more in depth, but it is something to keep an eye on and be aware of what's happening. Yeah, and and a lot of these issues, as as, as viewers know, and, and you know, uh, these are pretty heavy things, you know. So, um, you know, I just wanted to, to mention a little Easter egg here for Rashad that tonight, this will not be a crisp filibuster. Now, the U.S. Senate, they have a filibuster now. <laughs> That was a guest from episode two. Dr. I love Craig, that guy. Dr. Craig. McCoy. That guy is the best part of this week in social justice. And he's on sometimes, the Hall of Fame wall. That is his actual Twitter profile photo. And, uh, you know, sometimes each of us here at Newsbeat get a little excited about a certain topic, so they'll spend more time on it. But this is not one of those. I'm going to no, try to fly through these issues. Uh, so Sunday was the anniversary <laughs> of Bloody Sunday. Uh, back right. in 1965, uh, the march across uh, the Edmund Pettus Bridge in, in Selma. And they were met with, you know, 600 people were, were beaten down by, by state troopers. Eventually, uh, they did succeed on March 21st. And this was all for to bring attention to the lack of voting rights for African-Americans and, and all the obstacles that they face. And, you know, several activists lost their lives during this, this time. Uh, due to opposition for what they were trying to do. Um, but uh, over 25,000 people eventually participated and it helped lead to the Voting Rights Act of 1965, which we're going to get into yes. a little bit later on in the show. Very so, quickly. Your uh, last bit, bite. Yeah, just very quickly. Um, anyone who's who's been following what's been going on with the with uh, the latest in terms of the investigation into the assassination of Malcolm X knows about this, but uh, we just thought we'd bring it up here. Basically uh, in recent weeks, a, and a former NYPD officer on it, basically like a deathbed confession uh, wrote a letter uh, that could be published upon his death and, and um, basically stating that he was part of a conspiracy um, to, falsely jam up a couple members of of Malcolm X's security team in order for the assassins to come into the Audubon ballroom uh, that fateful night and and uh, and, and kill him. Uh, since, in, I think, in the past couple of days, the daughter of that cop has come out and said that the letter is a fake. So, you know, we don't know exactly what how this will end up, but 
it's you know we definitely wanted to mention this. Interesting. The the saga yeah. continues uh, when it comes to the assassination of Malcolm X. That that's an interesting a piece on Washington Post, by the way. Uh, all these links are being spread out through our social channels as we do the show. Thank you to our amazing production team, Sage, uh, who's rocking and sending out links. So if you uh, want to follow up on these things, uh, please do. We're not just telling you uh, to to you know throw it out there. Do the research, follow it up, find out more. Rashed, it is your turn for some news bites. Oh, man, you only have two articles left for the Atlantic. That's sad. Because um, I don't pay for the Atlantic. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So this, I, I, I really enjoyed this, this study that came out last week and it has to do with the universal basic income that was instituted in the city of Stockton in California in 2017, I believe. And yeah. the, what the study showed is that, well, basically, let me just tell you what the, what the, the UBI did. They provided $500 um, uh, a, mo- a week, a month, I forget to, to a select group of citizens within the city and right. they were allowed to spend it however which they however they wanted and the study tracked them and they tracked a control group of people who weren't getting the the basic income and they found that it just obviously it improved people's lives um right. it allowed them to pay for emergencies that they otherwise wouldn't and there's that that off-repeated stat that the average right. american can't afford a 400 emergency so that helped and Another piece of this study that, that I found interesting, and also because it relates to what's happening with the stimulus, um, is that people who were getting the UBI were more likely to get a full-time job than those who did it, right? So that, that, that sort of refutes some of the arguments made by many Republicans who say, if you're giving out free money, if you're extending unemployment- It's going to work. Um, stay home and take the money. They'll, they won't care and go get a job. Right? Look, I would love to play Xbox all day, but- uh, People don't do that. You're, you're saying the facts state that actually you give people the the boost, they will actually go ahead and get jobs and do better and yeah. the economy. One of the things that came out of it was that they had more confidence in themselves, right? Because they paid down you know, debt. Economically, right? they were yeah, they were able to pay down debt. Um, so I mean, I think this is huge, and obviously, it's a small study. You're talking about a, um, a few hundred people in a city in California. But they tracked it over several years. And I think it's notable, especially when you had um, Andrew, Andrew Yang in the Democratic primaries um, talking about UBI, right? And, right? and you can argue that well, um, we're sort of experiment, going to be experimenting with that soon with these child cash credits, basically, that the government's going to give out um, for families. Right. Yeah. And the stimulus bill. So um, it's interesting to see if this is the way that we're going to go as a country. It's basically right. bringing back welfare after it was gutted um, a couple of decades ago. So um, we actually I covered this. Study and I want people to check it out. Oh, this wasn't it. Was that it? Stop. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. we um, uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because we actually yeah. uh, interviewed Mayor Tubbs um, a couple of years ago. And it wasn't about UBI. We did ask him about it. But this specific episode, interesting enough and important to people who listen to our podcast uh, were the criminal justice reforms that they were doing in the city to try to uh, bring down crime in Stockton. Crime was very high when mayor Tubbs came in, he was the youngest mayor ever elected to the city. And they also drove down crime rates um, under his stewardship. Um, So um, there are a coalition of cities that are working to bring in universal basic income. Uh, I know Newark, New Jersey, where I'm at, shouts to Brick City, uh, Mayor Raz Baraka has been on this panel of, of mayors that are instituting it sort of on a, on a city-by-city basis to try to get these things uh, you know, implemented on a city-by-city basis 
And as our Mayor Tubbs in Stockton has shown, not only can he reduce crime, uh, but the universal basic income helps people get on their feet, yep. so to speak, and do all the right things. Yep, it's definitely, and like I said, it's the, you know, a few cities here and there, the yep. child cash advances that families, millions of families are going to be getting. It's an interesting test case, so it would be um, fun to watch this play out over the next several months. Mm-hmm. Got you. We're, we're going to be uh, speaking to our guests soon, so I don't want to uh, run over. So if we could just jump to your last bite and then talk about this voting rights situation, uh, as it is super important that we continue talking about voting rights, even when it's not election season. So please, real quick, this trans rights uh, issue that's happening, and then we'll move on. Yep. Uh, you People may have seen it uh, about a, a week ago or over the course of the last couple of weeks. Some governors are said that they would sign bills that were passed in their respective state legislatures that would basically prevent uh, prevent um, trans uh, trans girls from um, playing or participating in women high school sports, women's sports in, in um, middle school, high school. And Mississippi and I think South Dakota were the two in question that said that the governor said they were going to pass those, uh, they were going to sign those bills. One said she was very excited to do so. Um, now I'm a skeptic. I think this is all part of uh, Republican culture wars, um, to ramp up the base. Um, and right. this is very unlikely to happen immediately because already, oh, I, uh, I think it was Idaho passed a similar law, but it's being held up in federal courts. So, um, it may just be prevented from day one. It might not go into effect, but it's important to, you know, watch these attacks on on civil rights happening before our eyes. And of course, the 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 the, the key thing there was that the White House is warning these states that this is sort of a violation of the civil rights, uh, you know, the federal civil rights laws. Uh, yeah, yet, I think yet, Biden also passed an executive order or signed an executive order. Um, yet they continue to try. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah. Yep. All right. Listen, once again, if you're just tuning in this week in social justice, we have a rundown in the beginning of the show of a bunch of things that are happening in the world of social justice that you need to know about. If you turn on the cable news, you're not going to necessarily see these things. It's going to be Corona, 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 and there's going to be stimulus, 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 and that's probably going to be it. And maybe if you get lucky, they'll sprinkle something in. Maybe you can go to our friends at Democracy Now. Maybe you can turn on PBS News Hour. Maybe you can watch the BBC coverage of the United States uh, government. Uh, and you might find some tidbits here and there. We like to bring these things to you directly. Uh, boom, boom, boom. So that you can go follow up and get more information, find out that these things are happening. Uh, we have a guest coming in a few minutes to talk about the downfall, possibly, of Andrew Cuomo. But it's not the salaciousness. We don't, I mean, we care about the allegations of sexual harassment, of course. But we also have been saying for a long time amongst ourselves that uh, the way Andrew Cuomo has treated progressive uh prosecutors or the way he's obviously dealt with the uh, the deaths in the uh, nursing homes has been actually things that we need to be holding Andrew Cuomo accountable for. We have Ross Barkin coming on. He's an authority on this uh, subject. We're going to talk to him in a few minutes. In the meantime, the Voting Rights Act, the voting rights, the attack on voting rights nationwide yeah. uh, is a constant thing that we want to make sure you know about, you pay attention to, not just during election season. This is super important. Rashad, take it away. The voting voting rights issue. Yeah. So uh, obviously this has been coming to a head, as you mentioned earlier in the program, um, during the election, post-election, when Trump was lying about voter fraud. Um, and that, you know, had a, a huge effect on the Republican Party. Um, at one point, I think in January, um, about 70 percent of Republicans 
um, said in a poll that there was they believe there was widespread voter fraud in the United States, right? So I think it's important that just to have that um, as our starting point because there's a reason why they're doing this. Obviously, before um, the 2020 election, there was already voter suppression efforts. The they had successfully petitioned the Supreme Court um, years ago to gut the Voting Rights Act, specifically Section 5, um, which called for pre-clearance of laws um, in specific jurisdictions and states that would impact voting rights, especially for um, minority populations. And the federal government would come in and stop that. In what way? And how how would they were were they restricting uh, voting before the election? So, oh, so specifically, obviously, the, the big thing are voter ID laws, and many of those were passed after the, the Voting Rights Act was gutted. Also, right. just little things like that you wouldn't even notice. It's like moving a, a polling location or closing it or purging voter rolls aggressively, which is right. a, a normal thing that governments do, but they would do it in such an ad hoc way that uh, people were wrongfully being removed from the voter rolls. Um, right. So there's a, or, you know, or limiting um, certain forms of voting. Um, interesting. So now what we have, and I was, I always want to go through it. I think, so Brennan Center for Justice in a widely, this is a widely reported um, sort of roundup that they have. And it showed that in this legislative season alone, there's four times more um, anti-voting bills that have been introduced than this time last year. So I think the number is now over 200 such bills that are being introduced and they would affect voting in a host of different ways. They would um, eliminate sort of mail-in balloting. Um, They would end automatic voter registration, which sort of happens if you go and um, apply for a driver's license or, you know, reapply for your ID, you would automatically enroll and be registered to vote. Um, They would also um, do other things, like I mentioned before, like, um, uh, closed polling locations, um, right. and and also just make it harder to get ballots. They would um, also res- uh, make you have a voter ID, copy it, and send it in just to request a voter uh, uh, an absentee ballot, and then right. do the same thing when it was time to vote, right? So they want to make it harder. And obviously that's because, um, let's be honest, Democrats overwhelmingly during the pandemic voted absentee. Right. So, so um you know, there's just like a, there's a host of these issues that are, are that are coming to a head. And, and again, this has been uh, not anecdotally. I'm sure there's statistics and data. And yes, Chris, you can jump in um, to, to show that this is being done specifically to target Democratic voters and then double specifically to target African-American or inner city or Hispanic. Like the, the basically the black and brown communities that tend to vote overwhelmingly Democratic. And not only did they try this before the election to try to win the election, but when they lost the election, now they're doubling down. Now they're doubling those efforts. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and then on the flip on the flip side of this, there's, I think, over 500 bills to increase access. So um, and the House just recently passed uh, the For the People bill, uh, which have some incredible, incredible reforms to open up access even more. One of them, uh, as Rashad mentioned, uh, automatic uh, registration. When you go to get your license, uh, you're automatically registered. Registered. Uh, I think that would add something like 50 million people to the voter rolls. Um, there's a whole uh, section in there about opening up access to ensure uh, that people with disabilities are able to vote. Um, you know, the, uh, funding is included in there for that. I mean, so there's there's tons of of positive things happen. Obviously, this this bill will not pass the Senate, but 
you know, so there are initiatives fighting back on this. How, how much of these are local versus federal? Are these all local? I mean, so, so the hundred, the hundred bills that uh, that uh, Rashad mentions, I think, are in state legislatures. Uh, the five hundred bills that I'm mentioning are in state legislatures, and obviously yeah. the federal, the federal bill, uh, you right. know, supersedes. I think, I think the overarching point, as we always talk about, and to anyone listening, we're bringing this to your attention in a rapid fire way, but take some time to look in your jurisdiction, to look in at your state representatives, find out what they're proposing. And if you feel that there should be more access to voting, then pressure your state legislators or your state lawmakers to do whatever they got to do to make this happen. Yes. I mean, this is the the end result here. You got to, we got to worry about it. Not just when it's election season is what I'm getting at. Yeah, and I don't think you could underscore enough that this is all being done um, uh, under, you know, uh, uh, false pretenses, right? They're they're saying that they want to secure the ballot when Trump's own government officials, when he was still in office, said it was the most secure election. There you go. The most most secure election (laughs) in history. I'm on it. I mean, there's 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 a lot there's a lot here and we could talk a long time about this. Um, um, maybe near the end of the of uh, the show here, we'll we'll play an excerpt from an episode that we did on voter suppression. We did a great episode again to people who are just checking in. Uh, I'm trying to find it. Pardon me. Yeah, it's coming. I don't know where it is. I lost it. Anyway, I'll find it. We did. We'll, a- we'll get back to it. We'll get back to it. But, we, but the point is this. If, you, if you're just finding us now, we actually are a podcast. We're actually not live streamers per se, uh, but we actually have uh, episodes that go into these issues. Uh, we, oh, that's right, because we have a headliner for it. We'll play it later on. We'll give you a taste of what we're talking about. Yeah, uh, just if I could just jump in for one thing, uh, man. Please. Is what, you, what, what you said about, you know, um, this is local, right? So you want to pay attention. Um, just think about all the sort of media attention and all the funding that went into Georgia during those, those runoff Senate races and the focus that was on Georgia. Imagine if that same amount of attention funding was on Georgia right now, as they're trying to uh, potentially disenfranchise voters. Let's talk about Georgia real quick, but while we wait for our guest uh, who has not arrived yet, um, tell us how this is actually playing out on a local level uh, in Georgia, if we could. Rashad, Rashad, if uh, I mean before uh, we started the day today, talking about the hypocrisy in Georgia, right? That there was a there was a bill I think in 2019 uh, that increased uh, mail-in ballots and, and and things like that uh, that had bipartisan support. Oh and yeah, that now, was the Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah, Pennsylvania. And um, who's doing the same thing now? Yeah. So, but yeah, to your point, Chris, a Georgia Republicans passed a law in 2005. Um, instituting no uh, no excuse absentee voting. Uh, Sixteen years later, they want to do away with the no excuse absentee voting. Like I said, because um, millions upon millions of uh, Georgia Democrats voted that way, and I think it's silly that this become a partisan thing because there's really no study. I mean, some people will say Republicans vote more absentee historically, uh, but there's really studies are conflicting. Nobody really knows who votes more by mail. So to me, it just seems like you're, li- you're, you're obviously shooting yourself in the foot because your own voters right. can't vote by mail. Right. And even so it, it's, it's an outlier of, of, you know, you can't base anything on this past year, obviously. 
Yeah, obviously, because the coronavirus. But, you know, more people now may be more comfortable voting by mail. There's a few states that just vote by mail primarily. Right. Indeed. Right. Nope. So, you know. Right. Now, there's there's also uh, a, a secondary uh, federal bill, right, named after John Lewis, mm-hmm. that targets um, this sort of uh, gutting that happened in 2013 of the Voting Rights Act, uh, specifically Section 5 with the preclearance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, there, there are efforts underway to yeah. try to rectify this stuff. Right. Right. Once again, yeah. pay, attention, pay attention to us. Uh, our guest is here. We're going to move on to the next segment. I'm going to play the headliner. I'm going to let you guys know why not that uh, while we're telling you these topics, we actually go deep diving into them. This is an example from our episode on voter suppression. Uh, and it, it, it lays a foundation from some of the things that are happening today, even though we did it a bunch of months ago and uh, told you about what was about to happen. I think we called it, if you ask me. And then we'll move on to our next segment. Check this out. This is the News we Podcast. Again, we're not just live stream YouTube and, and, and Facebook sensations. But we have a pretty good podcast that breaks these things down. Here's a clip from our episode voter suppression. Thinking about the history of this country, you've really seen fits and starts to the expansion and the erosion of the right to vote. Obviously, in 1965, people fought and died, many of them, or were beaten or had to go through extraordinary hardship just to register to vote, just to give people the opportunity to vote. Every time the Voting Rights Act of 1965 is used or evoked, it's really literally the blood of Americans who fought and died for that right. Is that it? It should. You made it. Huh. Technical <laughs> difficulties here at the... Uh... Listen, trust me when I tell you the Newsbeat Podcast award-winning merges high-level social justice journalism with music and original lyrical contributions from brilliant independent hip-hop artists. It's uh, like as if Democracy Now! and Black Thought had a podcast baby. That was just a taste. The uh, issue of voter suppression was covered in depth as you heard us getting into it, and I like it. It's a tease. It makes you want more. Wherever you find podcasts, look for Newsbeat, and you'll find the rest of that and many other episodes talking about the issues of the day. Ah, Okay. Boy, let's bring in Ross. Let's do it. Let's. I think I have a little thing for us to say. Once again, Ross Barkin is here to join us. Rashad, please introduce our guest, and we will uh, take it uh, take it out with the next segment. Let's go. Sure. Yep. Coming on uh, live with us uh, tonight is Ross Barkin. So he's a journalist and author of the upcoming book, The Prince, Andrew Cuomo, Coronavirus, and the Fall of New York. Uh, Ross, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here to talk uh, Cuomo. <laughs> yeah, I know you. I know you've been doing a lot of that. So I, I hope you're not Cuomo'd out. He's basically taking up a spot in your in your brain in your conscience. But um, uh, we really appreciate you doing this. And uh, so Ross, just to get right into it, um, you know, we were hoping um, to get to give people insights into Cuomo's time in office that perhaps hasn't received sufficient national attention like he did during the coronavirus. So Cuomo famously came into the governor's mansion as sort of this self-proclaimed white knight committed to rooting out corruption in Albany. Right. Uh, but the governor himself has faced many questions about his own dealings. So can you just discuss some of those scandals and give people some context? Sure. So you have the current scandals, which uh, are are actually unrelated to each other. He's facing six sexual harassment allegations 
and he is facing an FBI probe into his oversight of nursing homes and how he tallied nursing home deaths. It's actually not the first time that he's faced the federal investigation. His top aide, a man named Joe Prococo, actually went to prison um, over a bribery conviction several years ago. Um, so corruption is, is not a new thing or corruption allegations are not a new thing. And um, you know, multiple members of the administration in the past have gone gone to prison on corruption charges. But right now, Cuomo is dealing um, fr- dealing with probes on two different fronts. There's the federal investigation into his handling of nursing homes, and the state attorney general is currently um, deputizing investigators to look into the now six sexual harassment allegations. Very very big number. And, and Ross, besides, so as you said, so now with all the, the sexual uh, allegations, um, the scandal with the nursing homes, I was wondering if you could bring uh, us back a little bit to the beginning of his tenure um, when he was sort of um, empowering uh, breakaway Democrats and, and helping keep Republicans in power and at the same time sort of thwarting uh, any progressive reforms that had any shot. Yeah, so Andrew Cuomo came into office uh, more than a decade ago um, as a fiscally moderate centrist, even conservative a Democrat who was socially liberal. He was a triangulator in the mode of Bill Clinton. And one of his chief aims um, for much of his tenure was to ensure that progressive Democrats never controlled the state Senate in New York. So New York is a blue state. We haven't voted for a... Republican presidential candidate since Ronald Reagan in 1984. Yet, despite that fact, we had a Republican-controlled state Senate as recently as 2018. And the reason was Cuomo allowed Republicans gerrymander their own state Senate districts back in 2012. And then he allowed, encouraged, um, helped create a breakaway group of Democrats known as the Independent Democratic Conference, and they had a power-sharing agreement with the Republican Conference, and they controlled the state Senate together. So you had this group of Democrats called the IDC, these, um, you know, fake faux Democrats, and you had the Republican Conference, and together they ran the state Senate, and they were able to block a host of progressive measures related to health care, um, immigration, um, abortion rights, you know, you name it, uh, tenant rights. And it wasn't until 2019 when Democrats took full control of the state Senate that a lot of progressive aims were achieved in New York State. And that was no thanks to Andrew Cuomo. So for those resistance liberals, those Democrats who really fell into Cuomo's thrall um, over the course of the pandemic, it's important for them to learn about their history and that Andrew Cuomo was empowering Trump-supporting Republicans for much of his tenure. It's amazing. It's amazing that that happened, though I think do think some local voters smart up to it because a lot of those IDC um, members were voted out of office, right? Yes. Six out of eight were defeated in the primary in 2018, which is pretty remarkable. Again, no thanks to Cuomo. That was activists <laughs> on the ground, that um, advocacy organizations, the Working Families Party. Uh, Cuomo had no role and, in fact, would have very much preferred that those primary challengers did not win. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so Ross, I want to get into the pandemic a little bit for a few minutes. Obviously, we just discussed that he's sort of been lauded by the national media, by people across the country, really, um, for his PowerPoint presentations and for, I guess, um, you know, uh, acting competent um, while we had a federal go- uh, pr- president who barely did anything to stop the coronavirus, um, it seems. So um, what has your reporting, because you have this book coming out, what does your reporting tell us about the way Cuomo managed the coronavirus, especially at the beginning? So the, the, the current narrative, which still exists to an extent, is that Andrew Cuomo handled COVID quite well. He was triumphant. He was successful. And lately, he's been led astray by the sexual harassment allegations and also the, the issue into the obscuring of the nursing home death toll, right? That's kind of like the, the popular conception. And I, I would argue, and I, I would say the facts show you that, in, in fact, Andrew Cuomo never handled the pandemic well, and New York failed catastrophically to prevent mass death. To date, we have the second highest death toll, the second highest death rate. The only reason we don't have the first highest death rate is because New Jersey is first, and much of their suffering um, was because of the uh, you know horrors coming out of New York. Um, and only recently were we surpassed by California, a much bigger state. So going back to March a year ago now, this time exactly a year ago, Andrew Cuomo was still comparing COVID to the flu. We associate that now with a right-wing Republican talking point. You'd hear that on Fox News. You'd hear that from Donald Trump. It's like the flu. It's not a big deal. Go back, watch the press conferences from early March, read the transcripts as I did for my book. Um, And you see that Andrew Cuomo was someone who did not believe COVID was a real threat. He said Ebola was worse. He said SARS was worse. He said not to worry. He said over and over the fear is worse than the virus. And finally, when even Bill de Blasio began to take COVID seriously and said New York should shelter in place, as San Francisco was doing, Andrew Cuomo dismissed the idea entirely. And we didn't get a shelter in place order until March 22nd of 2020. By then, COVID had spread rapidly. People were getting infected. People were dying. So you start right there we were very slow to react compared to San Francisco and the surrounding counties compared to Washington state. Both these places to date have very low death tolls and death rates. Believe it or not, less than 500 people have died of COVID in San Francisco to date. California, Southern California has had a very hard time for various reasons, but early action does save lives. New York was very slow to react. Bill de Blasio should share blame for that. I, I, I don't let him off the hook in my book or in my reporting. Um, but Andrew Cuomo is the governor of the state. He's the state's most powerful figure by far. He has the power to shut down schools. He has the power to shut down businesses. The, the, all, all the authority rests in his hands. And despite his reputation, uh, he was very slow to use his power to save lives. It's just incredible, incredible insights. Um, I wanted to ask you, I know we're running short on time here. I just wanted to ask you to weigh in on his sort of historical hatred for the Working Families Party. (laughs) Yeah, so so that goes way back. Um, It goes back to his first re-election bid where the Working Families Party flirted with and did not endorse, but flirted with supporting Zephyr Teachout, who who is, uh, of course, you know, an acclaimed law professor, 
Um, you know, she, she, she's great. And you know, she was looking to primary Cuomo, the Working Families Party was looking at her, did not support her, still supported Cuomo. So Cuomo's always viewed the Working Families Party as a threat in his state. They are a progressive party. They used to be a hybrid of organized labor and progressive activist groups. Andrew Cuomo forcefully drove labor out of the WFP and, and in essence told them it's it's them or it's me. Since Andrew Cuomo is the one for the um, you know public and private sector unions, he's the one who's determining how much they're making, um, what type of projects they get if they're in construction, you know, or if they're healthcare workers, you know, um, you know what sort of hospitals they work in and their pay rate and things like that. Andrew Cuomo is the ultimate power in the state, so he has a lot of leverage. So he explicitly pushed labor out of the working families party. And then in 2018, WFP supported Cynthia Nixon in the primary. Obviously, uh, Andrew Cuomo did not take too kindly to that. And he's been trying ever since to destroy them. He has raised the threshold of um, votes needed to keep your ballot line. He did that very recently. So WFP is always under the gun now. Um, And they are explicitly antagonistic to Cuomo and the leadership has called for him to resign. Uh, so, you know, he, he would very much prefer that, that they were utterly obliterated and, um, you know, they very much are a group that is working against him and it is an umbrella organization for progressive activists in the state. Hey, Ross, we have about a minute left. I just want to ask you one quick follow up about the coronavirus and, um, it's this idea that Cuomo has said multiple times that the um, sort of the federal government was to blame for what happened to New York because New York is a global um, state and, and people came here from all across the world. Um, can you just talk about that aspect? His perspective is that um, the federal government is what really failed the state. Sure. So the federal government did do a, a terrible job preparing for coronavirus. You know, I, I, w- I would never argue that Trump did a good job. But every state was fighting with that handicap. I, I, I think any governor who is expecting Donald Trump's federal government to be adequately prepared for coronavirus was a deluded governor. And you saw other governors really took the initiative to prepare, to listen to their public health experts, to have a plan. I go back to Washington state. You can look at states like Vermont. You can go around the country and see governors who really trusted their experts and who were very um, forceful uh, about moving quickly to close down the state and, and save lives. Um, so you, 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 it's true that Trump was a disaster, but all 50 states knew that going in. We knew coronavirus was a threat. By the beginning of 2020, all you had to do is read the New York Times. So it, most of his talking points don't really hold up under any real scrutiny. He blames a slow travel ban of European travelers, but California too is a global hub. And though they've had a higher death toll, their death rate is far lower than New York. So you can't just say we're a global hub. You can't just say the federal government's bad. There are other places with other airports. Every governor knew what Trump was going into this and every governor really had to design plan to, you know, counteract Trump's incompetence. And that's unfortunately what federalism is. And um, Cuomo can blame Trump all he wants, but now Trump is out of office. And so he doesn't have the cover of Trump anymore. And that's really why I think you're seeing all of this 
controversy gets so much attention. I do believe if Trump were in office currently, you would not see so much media attention. That's great, Ross. So can you um, tell the audience where they could find the book? I think it's available for pre-order, right? I don't know if they shipped it out yet, but can you tell people where to find it? Yes. So you can go to being published by or books and you can go on their website. You go or books.com. You can search, you know, Andrew Cuomo, the Prince. you know, it'll, it'll pop up pretty quickly. You, when you do a pre-order, you get 15% off pre-order ship in April publication date is still a few more months down the road, but pre-orders will get them early and you get the discount. So I would urge you to pre-order now. Great, Ross. We really appreciate you coming on and good luck with the book. Thank you. I appreciate being here. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care. All right. Thanks again, Ross. All right. Right on. And we linked the book in the comments section as a show is supposed to do. So uh, be sure you check on that and do that. Thank you again, Ross. All right, gentlemen, there it is. We the definitive Andrew Cuomo dissertation right here on Newsbeats uh, this week of social justice. Uh, I enjoyed that breakdown. It was actually very informative, very helpful to understand the full scope of what's going on. We call it yeah, as it is. I think he put it in context. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Regardless gotta, of party. Got to keep Daddy Cuomo in check. <laughs> <laughs> it's what they say. They say Daddy Cuomo. It's ridiculous. Who says that? People. Is that what they say in Newark? I'm just saying. Oh, man. The Newark Shouts, Shouts to Silent Night. Hey, listen, Newark, New Jersey is doing big things. Shouts to Silent Night in the check-in. Shouts to Tony Ann Canora on the check-in. Shouts to Sage holding us down. Shouts to everyone who's tuned in and turned up with This Week in Social Justice. We're here every Wednesday now. Wednesday is at 8 p.m. Because why are you going to watch the news? Come on, stop it. Come to us, and we'll tell you the real news, as you just heard from Ross Barkin about the real breakdown of Andrew Cuomo. Yeah, we can get mad at him for all the sexual harassment stuff. That's not cool. Yeah, we can get mad at him for all the lies about the nursing home death. That's not cool. But there's some other things you probably didn't know about Andrew Cuomo, little skeletons in his governmental closet that we just uh, brought. brought, uh, brought. Listen, people say Daddy Cuomo silent night. Trust me. And we didn't even cover it all, so we probably could have had Ross on for over an hour. Oh, you know, we got several several shows just on Cuomo. We got, we got Buffalo oh Billions. We got the Moreland Commission. Indeed. Shouts to Jamie and Ryan and the uh, shouts to everybody who's tuned in with us again every Wednesday live eight p.m. wherever you're watching us. Uh, I got to tell you something. There's an after party to this show. If you stay tuned to me, there's going to be sort of a, a Chris Cuomo. Don Lemon thing happening with the <laughs> from Newsbeat on uh, on my new show. Uh, so stay tuned to us. Stay tuned to me over on Twitch. Manny Faces Official. We'll be doing going to some some things uh, in the after party. Let's close this out. We're running out of time uh, because we have not done this in a while and we didn't know how to time everything. Let's quickly, very quickly, news beat the past. I'm looking for Isn't it. There's supposed to be a thing. I'm looking a thing, for a splashy it. thing. That's what I was waiting I for. I don't know. I know. No, there's been no okay. bullhorn either. I don't know. Love this week, love, but back love. then. You got oh, button. No. I don't know what to do. This week, but back then. Come on, what happened? Break no, down. I just, wa- I just wanted to mention uh, 50 years ago uh, this week was yes. uh, one of the most important uh, revelations in terms of the, the U.S. government's Cointel Pro program. Uh, which targeted uh, all different types of of social justice movements, civil rights movements, human rights movements, 
black you see power, North Jersey, right there. North New Jersey, right there. <laughs> yes, there indeed. Uh, targeted uh, MLK, uh, Malcolm X, obviously Fred Hampton. Um, you know the peace movement, the anti-war movement, and basically what happened right. is uh, it all uh, has been exposed to the public because eight activists actually broke into an FBI office in Pennsylvania and with the sole purpose of just taking as many documents as possible and getting them out to the public. And that's what they did. Had it not been for that, we mm-hmm. probably would never know the extent of this, of this program, which was just showed the, the infiltration of all these groups, the a campaign uh, to thwart uh, at basically at any cost under J. Edgar Hoover, uh, these movements and, you know, it's just uh, so it's a worthy anniversary. Okay. All right. Definitely. And we did an episode on Cointelpro. We did an episode on Cointelpro. There it is right there. Again, Newsbeat podcast, not just pretty faces on your TV screens, TV screens, computer screens, phone screens, whatever the hell you're watching us. Uh, a podcast that breaks down these issues. We've been doing it for years. Award winning. We beat the New York Times. We beat their ass. Can I just say that? Can I say that I'm live? <laughs> Internet. Uh, so I we think beat, that's a direct quote from the judges, actually. I think so. Like, oh, they beat their ass. The, the journalism <laughs> etched, podcast etched in crystal. Here. Etched in crystal. Yeah, I have it right here. I have my award right here on the shelf from the best journalism podcast of the year. Uh, but what we do is we mix hard hitting uh, social justice journalism. We mix it with music, and more often than not, we have uh, original lyrical contributions from brilliant independent hip hop artists. We like to say it's as if democracy now. And Black Thought from the Roots had a podcast, baby. Please do check us out wherever you find podcasts. Newsbeat, it is the bestest thing in the world. Shouts to you, Summer. All right, listen. Last thing we got is news beating the future. Real quick, let's go. And then we heading over to Twitch to get it popping. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, so this is this is important. So the obviously the trial of Derek Chauvin, the police officer, who uh, killed George Floyd um, is going to start officially at the end of this month, but jury selection is happening right now. Um, I know as of this podcast, as of this podcast, this stream that they've um, selected a few people. It's hard. Stop. Keep going. They selected a few uh, jurors. It's hard because a lot of people have made up their mind about Derek Chauvin in Minneapolis. But I want to pay. I, I think it's important for everybody to pay attention to the trial because of so, so much attention, obviously, and the passion of the protesters over the spring and, and the summer. And the people are still trying to create change throughout this country um, for criminal justice reform and racial justice issues. Um, so I think we're going to try our best over the next um, few weeks because this this trial might go on for a couple months to sort of break down what's happening in the courtroom, um, you know, as often as we can. So you guys could stay informed. Shouts also to this. And I recommend this all the time. This is a great link. I think it's in the chat, uh, in the comments rather. Um, this is Minneapolis, uh, St. Paul magazine. The local aspect is often, uh, there were protests like the day of, right. Uh, but you maybe only caught a, a glimpse of that on the, on the national news, uh, channels, depending on, you know, what thing was happening. So I always encourage us to check out the local aspect, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Uh, we talked about some other things. We'll be sharing links throughout all of our social networks, uh, trying to give you some of the local covers. They tend to know it best. You'd agree? Definitely. All, all news is local. That's what we used to say. 
Ain't that something? Well, listen, we are out of time. And uh, that's the rundown this week in social justice, y'all. We did a fantastic job, if I do say so myself. Thank you for uh, checking in with us and paying attention to what's going on. Once again, this is super important that we pay attention to some of these issues around uh, election season, uh, the local aspect of some of these issues. Uh, The Andrew Cuomo stuff is super important if you're in New York, but uh, Rashad, you made a great point when we talked before the show that very often the leaders that even on your I, it's I think it's just me and you. You know, I he, think I think we are we. I, I, oh, I thought it was the me. I thought it was the Rashad and Chris after party real quick. Yeah. Don't cut me off when uh um, you know when I start talking. I don't like that. It's very rude. Anyway. We're about out of time, so thank you, everyone, for checking in. Last words, gentlemen. Chris, Rashad, what do you got? It's great to be back, and uh, look forward to uh, having another show like this next week. Come to the after right. party. And come to the come after to party. Come to the after party. Official on and Twitch. listen to the podcast. Uh, and listen to the podcast. podcast. Newsbeat, wherever you get uh, podcasts. Two words, one love. Newsbeat. We'll be back next week, 8 p.m. Eastern, this week in Social Justice. And thank you, uh, Sage, again, on the back end for helping us out. Uh, oh, Jed Mori in the building. Uh, you, you saved the best for last, uh, sir. Thank you to uh, Mori Creative Studios, Jed Mori, uh, a bunch of podcasts under our umbrella that you need to be. If you like this, you'll like everything we do. Uh, but thanks to everyone checking in. We'll be back next Wednesday. Oh, my God, this is so much work. Okay, we'll be back. Bye. <laughs> Part two in a minute. Love you all. Peace. <laughs> Love you, Chris. Love we you love too. you. No, we're still live. I'll we'll see that smile. Hey, that gleaming smile. I love everybody. I don't get any love. <laughs> we said you're cool. Bye. Thank you. <laughs>